Amen. Well, good. I'm looking forward to digging into uh, the next uh, area the Lord has moved my heart to preach on, on the subject of Simplify, and uh, what a series this has been. Uh, I did not think it would last this long, to be honest with you, um, but the Lord just keeps on putting uh, burdens on my, bur- a burden on my heart to preach on this subject, and so that's right where we're going to stay in Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll pick up uh, here today. Uh, and obviously, you can already see by the screen what we're going to be talking about today, finances. If you want to get up and leave, you can do it right now, okay? Uh, no, I'm just kidding with you. But uh, I guess you can if you want to. But um, I am looking forward to digging into this topic. This is not a topic that a lot of us want to think about. We'd rather focus on he will hold me fast, which is not wrong, by the way. Um, But I think it's an important one. And if you're talking about an area that will simplify your life, you tackle this area, it will greatly simplify your life. Because no matter how sincere your spiritual walk is, no matter how well organized your schedule is, No matter how healthy your relationships are, a dysfunctional relationship with money will result in an ever-present feeling of being overwhelmed. Just can't get around it. One author put it this way. He said, there is no way to simplify your life if your relationship with money is out of control. Because money is the stuff, stuff that helps us be able to function in going about our lives. And uh, that's why this area right here um, is an area that I think complicates uh, overcomplicates many of our lives. Um, and so I think it's an area, and I know it's an area that we need to focus on. And truth, truth be told, God understands that this is an important area. That's why He's devoted so much time in His Word to speak about the subject of finances, of possessions, of treasures, of, of stewardship. And that's what we're going to be looking at for just a little while here today. In fact, Jesus had more to say about money and possessions than He did about Many other things that you would think were more significant. He had more to say about finances than he did about heaven or hell combined. He had more to say about finances than he did about faith or love um, or, 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 or many other things that we could talk about here today. And uh, sometimes I make statements like that and people are surprised by it. But I, I know that the reason why this is the case is because Jesus understood how central this was to our lives as human beings. And if Jesus spent so much time talking about this subject, it was so important to him, you better believe it ought to be important to us too. So we're going to take some time to focus on this here today. And I want to begin by uh, looking at our text in Matthew chapter 6. And let's begin reading in verse number 24. I want to read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll pray and dive into what the Lord has for us today. Matthew 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what shall you put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Hold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap. Gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Each of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature. I'm sure some of you have wanted to, but you can't do it. Verse 28, and why take you thought for raiment or clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Read verse 33 out loud with me. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. No, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And for a few minutes this uh, morning, I want to take some time to focus on this subject today, simplifying your finances. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father, we come before you this morning. I ask for your anointing on this time in your word. And uh, Lord, I am uh, so excited to be able to preach this truth. And uh, I know this is something that has long needed to be, to, to be uh, given time and attention to in, in, this, in this body. And I pray that it will be profitable. I pray that our hearts would be open, Lord. And uh, truly, Lord, you can give us liberty unlike anything that we've experienced in our life if we will submit to you in this area. Help me to listen to these truths. Help all of us to listen to these truths. And Lord, give us liberty to accomplish your purposes through our life as we surrender the area of our finances to you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let me begin by making a statement to you here today. And uh, listen to me closely on this. How you handle your finances reveal what your life is really all about more than anything else. How you handle your finances will truly reveal what your life is all about. Look at Matthew 6 and verse 21, and we didn't read this earlier, but this is what Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Will you read that out loud with me? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your life is overwhelmed and out of order, any capacity, I dare say it is somehow connected to your finances. You might not think that's the main thing that's going on. Your life is out of order in any capacity. It is, it is directly impacting your finances to some degree. It might be that you're just stressed about something else happening in your life, and so you're spending a lot. All right, It could be a lot of things, but the fact is money is the stuff that helps us be able to go about life. And if our life is out of order, our finances will be out of order. And it's one of the first places where uh, complications begin to show up. And so one of the most significant ways you can simplify your life is by simplifying your finances. And that's why we need to take some time to focus on this. Now, Matthew chapter 6, in this, in this chapter, in the chapter preceding it, and the chapter after it, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this, this Sermon on the Mount was basically an overview from Jesus about, the, about what the life of one of Jesus' disciples is supposed to look like. And here at the end of chapter 6 in particular, Jesus takes some time to give some thorough information to us, teaching us about the subject of our finances. And in this passage, we find five financial principles that teach us how to simplify the handling of our finances. Now, I know I'm standing in a room, many of you are far my superior with your knowledge of finances and how you have managed your finances. Don't focus on the preacher on this, focus on the message, focus on what God, the principles that God has for you. And by the way, don't approach this message with the spirit of, well, I already got this one figured out, I'm doing just fine. All right, God may want to help you do even better if you'll listen to the principles. The same token, say, well, I've tried this Jesus stuff when it comes to my finances and it doesn't work, so this message is for somebody else. You're wrong. You take God at His word, it will pay off. 
We're going to see that as we study the scriptures today. So let's look at these five financial principles. If you're taking notes, let's put, you can put the first one down, and that is the principle of surrender. The principle of surrender. And here's the principle. You can only live for one God. You can only live for one God. Verse 24, if you're with me, say amen. amen. Verse 24, the Bible says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus is telling us here that to be one of his true followers requires total surrender. Throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about total surrender in different areas. But in this passage in particular, he's talking about total surrender in the area of your finances. And uh, just as much as he wants you to give your life to him, he also expects you to give your pocketbook to him. He wants to have control of every area of your life. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, that means you have to follow him in every way. You can't pick and choose where you want to go with him. All right? It's got to be all or nothing. That's what Jesus is asking from his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. And it certainly is true here about the subject of finances. In verse 24, Jesus gives a great contrast between God and mammon. Uh, that, that word mammon is a Greek word that literally talks about uh, worldly riches all right, or worldly goods. Uh, you, you could put that beside that word in your Bible if you have a King James there. That's what it's talking about, worldly wealth. And uh, uh, what the, the contrast that he's painting here is this. You can, you, you can only devote yourself to one of the two. You're going to detest the other one. Okay? Your devotion can only be given to one, either God or wealth. You're going to detest the other one. And then he says you can only cling to one. You're going to cast away the other. You say, well, my money is important to me, but I, I like God too. Friend, Jesus is painting a contrast. If, you, if, it, if, if it isn't all God's, then you're throwing God aside when it comes to the area of your finances, and you're clinging to your finances. Right? That's the language used here. And then he says you can, you can obey one, you can oppose the other. Right? So either you're going to serve God in the area of your finances, you're going to rebel against God, and you're going to serve your money. That's where a lot of people are at in the day and time that we're living in. And so the question is, which one are you devoted to? Look at your own life. Devoted to your finances more than you are to God. Which one are you holding on to? Which one are you obeying? Which one controls your life, your money or your God? That's a question that's being asked to us here. And the point is you can only live for one God. It's either God or stuff. You're living for something right now. But the question is, which one are you living for? The, the Bible paints a, a picture for us. And Jesus, in the, in, the, in the life of Jesus Christ, we see this picture painted. A, there's a contrast that is given between two different types of individuals who had some measure of wealth. And what we learn from these two individuals is that you can either approach your finances with a heart of surrender or with a heart of selfishness. The first example is in Luke chapter 19. We won't go there for sake of time, but it's the account of a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a very wealthy man, and uh, he was a tax collector, and he was a uh, uh, someone who was not very respected in his day and time because of that. And he brought Jesus into his house expecting Jesus to be impressed by all of his stuff. When he brought Jesus into his house, the thing that he thought meant so much in his life, all of a sudden he became ashamed of. Then Jesus spoke to him those famous words, Today salvation has come to this house. We see from the life of Zacchaeus that Zacchaeus got saved. Immediately after that, he changed his tune. 
But he started telling Jesus, I'm going to start giving back. And what we see happened for Zacchaeus was he not only experienced a spiritual reconciliation, but he experienced a financial reconciliation. He turned his life over to God, but he also turned his pocketbook back over to God. And that's what happens for a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Now contrast Zacchaeus' example with another person. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus tells us about a rich young ruler or a rich young man. And this, this man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus began to ask him about whether he followed the law. And he said, yeah, I've kept all the law since I was young. And Jesus then spoke to him and said, here's what you need to do. Sell everything you have. Come and follow me. The Bible says the young man walked away. Jesus grieved because he had great wealth. He exhibited was a selfishness that kept him from being a true follower of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to your approach to your finances, you're approaching your finances with a heart of surrender to the Lord. God, I'll do whatever you want in this area. You're approaching your finances with a heart of selfishness, a heart that says, listen, God, everything else is yours, but I got to take care of this. This is mine. Right? And that is our human nature, by the way, to want to cling on to things. But, God, but what Jesus starts with here, the first principle of finance here, is a principle of surrender. You can only serve one God. And so which God are you going to serve, stuff or the Lord? And that's the choice that you have to make. Simplifying your finances begins with you surrendering all of them to Jesus and uh, so many principles we could uh, add to this, but I just want to suffice it to say that uh, until you surrender your finances to God, nothing else is going to change in your life. Until you give what you have over to God, you can try to uh, simplify other areas of your life. You can try to orchestrate things for yourself, but until you give this area of your life over to God, nothing else is going to change. This is something where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is something that's so central to everything that we uh, uh, do in life. And so until you let God control your finances, your finances will continue to control you. You serve one God. You're either letting God call the shots or you're letting your finances call the shots of what you're going to do for God. And by the way, when I talk about surrendering, it goes beyond you just making a decision. God, here's all my money. And then you just go right back to living your life as you always have. Surrendering means that you, you take a step beyond, beyond this and you take the rest of these principles we're going to look at this morning and you start implementing them in your life, putting them into practice. James chapter number uh, 1 and verse 22 says, Be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You might say you're surrendered, but friend, if it's not being acted out in your life, you're lying to yourself. It starts with making a decision to surrender. And so number one is the principle of surrender. Let's look at the second principle, and that's the principle of ownership. The principle of ownership. And here's the principle. All you have comes from God. Principle of ownership. It's not your ownership, it's His ownership. And uh, the Bible makes this principle very clear. Now listen to me on this. Belief about money, our beliefs, I should say, about money are often diametrically opposed to God's. We look at our money a whole different way than what God does. I remember the story I heard about a father who gave his young daughter some money, and he gave her $2. And he gave her these instructions when he gave her these $2. He said, $1 is for Jesus, the offering plate on Sunday, and the other dollars for you. And the little girl took the money, and she, as she was playing around, 
uh, as she went outside in the front, and lo and behold, she tripped and she fell and she dropped one of the dollars and it fell down the storm drain in front of her house. She got up from there and she looked up to heaven and said, well, God, that was your dollar. That's kind of how we are, isn't it? Right? We, we, we tend to think that we own our own money and it's not God's. And uh, we tend to fall into that same kind of trap that we think it belongs to us and what we have, it's of our good grace if we want to give it to God or not. And uh, if we want to use it for God's purposes or not. Uh, but the Word of God has a different perspective on this. Now, a couple of things I want you to see about this. The first is that God owns everything. God owns it all. The Bible says in uh, uh, Psalm 24 and verse number 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. It says in James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights. We like to think that we earn what we have and that what we have, we deserve it. It's ours. We have a possessiveness about our, uh, our belongings. But the Bible teaches us that anything we have, we only have it because God gave it to us. God owns it all. It's none of it's yours anyways. And the Bible makes that very clear for us here. And uh, uh, so we, all we have comes from God and belongs to God. A second thing here is this. Not only does God own it all, but God knows what you need. God knows what you need. Verse number 25. Uh, I want to, well, I, I, for sake of time, I'm not going to go down and read this whole passage again, but uh, let's start in verse 25. The Bible says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not. And he gives the example of the fowls. They don't do anything to get, to get their food, and yet God takes care of them, feeds them. He talks about our stature. You can't do anything to grow yourself. And then he goes down and talks about our clothing, the lilies of the field. God clothes them. How much more so will he not clothe you? And so because of our misguided view of possessions, we tend to think that it's up to us to get everything we need for ourselves. What the Bible teaches us is that God owns everything, and the God that owns everything knows everything that you need. It doesn't mean you shouldn't work. The Bible does say in another place, if man shouldn't work, he shouldn't eat. All right? And that's an important thing for us to understand. But friends, we allow our lives to be so consumed with finances because we are trying to make what we think is ends meet and, 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 and make up for our own needs when all the while God already knows everything that, that we need. And when we turn our life over to God, He promises to meet those needs. And uh, that's the thing that the Bible's trying to teach us here in this passage. And so God owns everything. God knows what you need. And then as a consequence, God will give you everything you need if you will trust him. Verse number 33. Look at it with me. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And read the last part of the verse with me. And all these things shall be added unto you. You put God first. You let him control your finances. He promises he'll take care of everything you need. I have been old, or I have been young, and now I am old, and yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. That's what the psalmist said. And he's basically said, I've never had a time in my life when I see God fail to take care of one of his servants, of one of his people. And friend, I'd, I'd a whole lot rather God be the one to provide for my needs because my resources are limited. God owns everything. 
He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And friend, I'd rather he be the one that takes care of the things I need in my life than for me to try to take care of it myself. That's why I like Philippians 4.19 when the Bible says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I'm glad that God has all those riches and glory uh, wherewith he can, from which he can supply all my need and all of your need. And it's a whole lot better if you just trust God with this thing. So number one, there's a principle of surrender. Number two, there's a principle of ownership. But I want you to see number three, and that is the principle of contentment. The principle of contentment. That principle is this. You need to be content with God's provision. Be content with God's provision. Now look at verse 31 with me. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 31, the Bible says here in this verse, Therefore take no thought. Now that's a significant word. We're going to come back to it. Take no thought uh, for your uh, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewith all shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles or the lost uh, unregenerate world seek. So Jesus made clear that one of the areas that complicates our lives more than, more than it should is worrying about what we don't have. When it comes to finances, this is where a lot of us continually struggle. How am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to take care of this need? We live continually in a state of worry about financial needs. The word in verse number 31, take no thought. That word thought is translated from the kikmaramneo, which means to be anxious or to be troubled with care. And uh, sometimes you don't pick that up just by reading that verse. But Jesus is saying, when he says, take no thought about all these needs, what he's literally saying is, don't be worried about this. Don't be anxious about this. I got this. <laughs> Why are you worried about it? I own everything. I clothe the grass of the field. All right? I give shelter to the birds of the air. Well, I take care of all these things. You think I'm not going to take care of you? And that's basically what the Lord is uh, trying to communicate to us here. And the fact is, what's being addressed in this verse, we could say, is discontentment. So what is discontentment? Well, I think that we all, if we went around the room, could come up with our own definition of it. But the Bible word for discontentment, because it's not used in the Scripture, but the Bible word for discontentment is a word called covetousness. What covetousness means, a want for more. Desire for more. That's what covetousness is. It's just a desire for more of anything. Shakespeare said, the desire of having is the sin of covetousness. We struggle with this, don't we? The American Christians especially want more. No matter how much we have, we always want more. Can I tell you, while this world does struggle with discontentment, Christians should not. We should not struggle with this. That's why the Bible says at the beginning of verse 32, for after these things do the Gentiles seek. The lost world struggles with this, but it should not be true of my disciples. That's what Jesus said. And yet the sad reality is that as American Christians especially, we do struggle with this area. We have nice homes. We have garages that are so full of junk that we can't even park our cars in them. Some of you are like, I wish I had emptied my garage out this morning. So I didn't have to clean off my car. Let's be honest, all right? I know this is a status for a lot of Americans. We, our garages are so full of junk and stuff that we don't, can't even fit our cars in them. And yet we want a bigger house and a bigger garage so we can fill it up with more junk. I like what Will Rogers said about this. I, I always go back to this. Will Rogers, he said, Too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. That's the American way. It's true. Why we struggle with discontentment, and don't miss this statement, 
want what we don't have because we don't want what we do have. Hear me? We want what we don't have because we don't want what we do have. Not satisfied with what God has given us. God owns everything. God knows everything we need. He promises to give us everything we need, but we're not satisfied with what God has given us. I'm not talking about wanting to advance yourself and wanting to, wanting to make a better way for yourself. The Lord has principles for us about working for those kinds of things. But friend, you ought not live in a continual state of discontentment with where God has you and with what God has given you. I'll tell you something. Discontentment is such a dangerous thing that the Bible calls it um, uh, the chief of all evils. If you look with me at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 10, I believe it's in your notes. It says, for the love of money, the same Greek word that's often in other places translated as covetousness or discontentment. The love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. A person who cannot be content with what God has given them will spend their whole life trying to pursue something that God never meant for them to have. And by the way, they'll destroy their life in the process. Dangerous road to walk down. And let me tell you something. The sad reality is if you don't have enough, you're never going to have enough trying to pursue more. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10, He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver, and, and, nor he that loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Friend, it's an empty life to try to live, for just, try, live just to have more. You think you'd be satisfied if you have a hundred more dollars in the bank, a hundred thousand more dollars in the bank, a million more dollars in the bank? You'll never be satisfied if that's what you're trying to pursue in your life. And it's a vain pursuit to live your life for that kind of reason. Let me tell you, discontentment is what ultimately leads to ruined marriages, wrecked families, and devastated lives. The pursuit of trying to get something you don't have, you could lose what you do have. How often has a man lost his family, got his money, looked back and regretted having what he didn't realize at the time was so much more important? Right? You need to understand how important this principle is for us here. Greediness discontentment, it will only trouble your house. It won't help you. Right? Uh, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27, the Bible says, He that is greedy of gain troubles his own house, but he that hates gifts shall live. You're only troubling your own house if you're greedy of gain, always trying to get more. And so you will simplify your life significantly by learning to be content with what God has given you. And uh, boy, so many principles in the Bible about contentment. Uh, that can help you understand how to learn to be content. Uh, let me just give these to you real quick. The first one I'd say is you will be content when you rest in God's provision for your life. Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8, the Bible says, And having food and raiment, clothes, let's be content. You may not have everything you think you want. And you've got a roof over your head, you've got clothes on your back, you've got shoes on your feet, you've got food on your table. Understand that as even the poorest of Americans in this country are more wealthy people that are in third world, third world countries across the world. To be content with what God has given to you. You might not have everything you think you want, but you do have what you need. All right? I'd say a way you can learn to be content. Here's another one. You will be content when you rest in God's presence. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5. Let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness or desire for more. Learn to be content with what you have 
For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God says you can be content. You can be content when you learn. No matter what you don't have, you do have God. And if I have God, I've got everything I need. I've got everything I need. You can learn to be content when you learn to rest in God's presence. And the third thing the Bible teaches us about this is that you can be content when you learn to rest in God's power. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 not that, I have, uh, not that I have speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state of life I am in to be content. It goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And we like to take that verse, cherry pick that verse out and use it to say, well, I can do anything for Jesus. It's actually not talking about doing anything for Jesus. What it is talking about is that you can have the power to be content with whatever state of life you're in, trusting in Jesus. That's what that verse is actually talking about. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. No matter what state I'm in, I can be content. And friend, you may not, you may not want to stay where you're at very long. But as you learn to trust in God's power to get you through, you can be content with where you're at and where he's taking you. All right? Principles of contentment. And we struggle with discontentment. And so long as you continue to always want more and allow that to dominate your life, your financial life is going to continue to be complicated. Right? You are only complicating your life by, by living a discontented life. How much it will help you if you learn God has everything you need and I'm going to be happy with whatever God has given me for this season of life. There's the principle of surrender. Uh, there's the principle of contentment. There's the principle of ownership. And the fourth principle I want you to see this morning is the principle of stewardship. And this is where I like to park for, just, park for just a little while, but the principle of stewardship. And here's what I want you to write down as a principle for this. Stewardship, be obedient with God's resources. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about stewardship. You need to learn to be obedient with God's resources. Now, not a whole lot of amens happening on a sermon about finances. You know that? Boy, it'll help us if we'll listen to these principles here. Learn to be obedient with God's resources. Verse 33, the Bible says, But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, hear me out on this. All you have comes from God, and God promised to give you all you need to accomplish his purpose for your life. Then you ought to seek to manage everything God gives you to fulfill his purpose for your life. Put it in a simple statement. You need to put God first. It's all His anyways. You ought to seek to use what God has given you to fulfill God's purpose for your life. And uh, by the way, you don't get a side of that purpose is. It's God's purpose for your life. You need, to, you need to use what God has given you to do what God desires you to do with your life. Now throughout Scripture, it's, it's taught that we are stewards of God's resources and uh, there's so many passages we, should go, we could go to on this subject that we don't have time to go to all of them here this morning. But we are taught that we're stewards of God's resources. Well, what's a steward? Well, a steward is someone who manages something for the owner. And so God's the owner in this picture. You and I are the stewards. And since everything we have comes from God, we ought to use everything God has given us, including our money and possessions, we ought to use everything He's given us for God's glory. That's what the scripture teaches us we ought to do. And this is where the problem begins for most of us. All right? This is where we begin to have issues because we aren't using what God has given us for God's glory. Most of us are using it for our own gain. Now, I say most of us because I'm often there too. 
It's so easy to fall into this trap, to become selfish instead of surrendered, as we talked about earlier. But most of us are living to benefit ourselves and not the kingdom of God. And uh, that's a problem that we need to deal with in our own hearts. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus gave a parable about one that we've come to call the unjust steward. And this steward, if you read the story, what happens is he wastes his owner's resources for his own benefit. He cuts his owner short so that he can make friends with people in the world. Then the owner fires him, but he has friends in the world who help him out. All right? And so there's an embezzling thing that takes place in this chapter. But the idea is that he cuts the owner short to benefit himself. Then at the end of the parable, Jesus gives us this convicting application. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. I think it's in your notes. The Bible says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Listen to me. If God can't trust you with what he's already given you, you better believe he will not trust you with anything more. I've literally had people tell me, Pastor, if I win the lottery, I'll be able to, I'll be able to give something to the church. I had a million dollars. I'd have enough money to give. I'd have enough money to help other people. I'll tell you something. You can't learn to manage the hundred dollars God has given you. You wouldn't do it with a million if you had it. You say, oh, it's not true. It's true. It's, what, it's true because that's what God said. It's not true because that's what I said. You can't be faithful with a little. You won't be faithful with a lot. You better, you better believe it. And so... What God requires of His stewards, He gives us everything we have, and what He expects from us is that we be faithful with it. That we be faithful to do what He has called us to do with what He has given to us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 2, the Bible says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And I tell you, to add to this, the Bible also teaches us that one day, you are going to stand before God and give an account what you have done with what God has given to you. Sometimes we like to think about that in the context of our ministry, our service, but it's also true about our finances. You're going to give an account for every dollar you spend. Jesus said you're going to give an account for every idle word that you speak. Uh-oh, social media. Problem. You were have to, if you were to have to stand before God today, give an account for your finances... How would that conversation go? Something we all need to think about. Friend, Romans 14 and verse number 12 says we will all give account of ourselves to God. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's going to happen. We're going to stand before God one day and give an account for what he's trusted us with. And I want my account to be something um, that, that exhibits faithfulness to the Lord. So how can you steward your finances in a way that honors the Lord then? We're supposed to take what God has given us and use it as his managers to accomplish his purposes for our life, how are we supposed to accomplish that? I want to give you a couple of principles here that I think will help us with this. First off, live intentionally. Taking you notes, I want you to write this down. Live intentionally. The Bible says in Luke chapter 14 and verse 28, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? And I like the phrase there, Count the cost. I remember when I first moved here, we lived over in a neighborhood east of town here. And in that neighborhood, all the other houses were finished. Remember the first time I walked around that about third of a mile uh, circle in that neighborhood where we lived. And uh, there was this foundation. 
that had been poured. And it looked like it had been there for a very long time. I have to walk by that foundation and thought, what happened there? Somebody started to build a house out of money. Didn't have sufficient to finish it. That's what happened. Now, there's a house standing over there now. Somebody else must have bought it and built a house on it. Look at that, and that's what my mind always goes to when I think about this verse. Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and try to decipher whether or not he has enough resources to be able to finish it? What the Bible's teaching us here is that a wise steward of God's resources learns how to count the cost. And that's important for every single one of us here. Good financial practices do not happen by accident. In fact, what does happen if we aren't living intentionally when it comes to our finances is that we waste a ton of money. And that's what a lot of us are doing, isn't it? Wasting a ton of money. Right? And uh, you don't have enough to do what you should be doing because you don't even know what you're doing with what you have. And uh, instead of allowing uh, God to tell you where to put your money, you're allowing your money to control your life. And that's a bad place to be at, by the way. And the good financial practices do not happen by accident. You look at a simple, uh, the simple average American's financial statement and it would reveal this. What's on it? Well, it's going to be different for a lot of us. All right? um, but uh, I dare say if, if we were to put your financial statement up here and show it in front of the whole church that there would probably be a lot of stuff on there that you wish you hadn't wasted money on. Right? Let's just be honest. And uh, we're not living intentionally when it comes to our finances. And so if you're going to be a wise steward, you're going to have to think differently than most people about your finances. I uh, like how Dave Ramsey is a, is a uh, popular writer on the subject of finances. Uh, he put it, he said, if you live like no one else, later you can live like no one else. Right? A lot of times I'll, I have to tell people I don't have enough money to do that. And they think, oh, the poor guy, he's such a poor preacher. And that's not true. We're well taken care of. But when I tell people I don't have enough money to do something, it's because I have a budget. I don't have enough money in the budget. I have enough money. I have enough money in my budget because I'm trying to save. I'm trying to give. I'm trying to do other things that are important. And so I'm, I, I'm trying to let the Lord tell me where I'm supposed to put my money. And uh, that's living intentionally. That's what I'm talking about here. Now, practically, uh, when it comes to the subject of living intentionally, what is involved are, are two things in particular that I can think of here. First, if you're going to live intentionally, you need to live by a budget. Oh, that, I just said that word. I'm sorry. I can't tell you how many people I've had tell me, I've tried to live by a budget. They just don't work for me. Wrong. Wrong. Sit down and you take your finances. It takes discipline. It takes hard work. It takes uh, uh, overcoming the sin of discontentment, the desire for more, but you can live by a budget, right? Live by a budget, number two, live within your means. What does that mean? That means spend less than you earn, okay? It's really simple stuff, right? We don't, okay? The, high, the vast majority of Americans are living in debt today. Debt is a normal system of life for them. That's wrong, and we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. You need to live within your means. Um, and so are you managing God's resources intentionally today, or are you managing them carelessly? Stand before God for this. You ought, to, you ought to put some intentionality into it. So live intentionally. Here's the second thing I'd say. Give cheerfully. Oh, I knew you were going to talk about this, preacher. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it, all right? And we don't like to talk about giving, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. And by the way, God has a lot to say on this subject too. And if it concerned him, it should concern us. And uh, I heard a story about a little girl 
And she was coming to church, and her mom gave her a dollar and a quarter. And she said, I want you to give one of them to Jesus, um, whichever one you want to give. Uh, no, actually, the mom said, I want you to give the dollar to Jesus, and the quarter is for you to, to put into the quarter machine after church. And so she got to church, and she was sitting in church, and as they were getting ready to take up the offering, the preacher said something along the lines of, you know, God loves a, a, a cheerful giver. You thought about that? Her mom watched her. As the offering plate went by, she put the quarter in the offering plate. And her mom looked at her and he said, why, now why'd you do that? And she said, well, I heard the preacher say that God loves a cheerful giver, and I thought I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave God the quarter instead of the dollar. <laughs> I, now that's where a lot of us have to, have to say we are when it comes to the matter of giving. Um, but I do think it's important for us to focus on what God wants to teach us uh, in this area. You know, why do we, why do we want to hold on to stuff so much? we want to keep the dollars for ourselves and give the change to Jesus? Why do we have this mindset? The Bible actually tells us in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus has to say on the subject, but that's not, that goes against our grain as human beings. That's not how we're high, hardwired naturally. One of the blessings of stewarding your finances is that you learn just how much you do have to give. When you don't steward your finances, you don't feel like you have anything left to, to give to anyone else, not to mention God. When you do start stewarding your finances, it is actually a fun thing to be able to give back into uh, the work of the Lord or give to help family members or give to help friends or give to help community endeavors or whatever the case may be. Um, and I think that's so important for us to understand. 2 Corinthians chapter number, uh, chapter number 9 and verse number 7, I, I believe this is in your notes as well, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse number 7. The Bible says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And uh, you know, when you get a hold of your finances and you let God call the shots on it, you begin to see where your money's going. It is a joyful thing to be able to see, have this money to be able to give to the Lord. It's a joyful thing. But when money controls your life, it, it is a continual conflict in your soul uh, that you have to debate with when it comes to this matter of giving. And so when it comes to giving, God has made several things very clear to us here. I want to give these to you here. Listen, listen to me closely on this because I'm running out of time and I want, I want you to hear this very clearly. If you will listen to what I'm about to share with you about the subject of giving, this will, this will simplify that conflict I was talking about when it comes to the area of giving greatly in your life. First thing I want you to write down is this. This is not some, a blank for you to fill in. This is just something you can write down. All right? The first thing is this. Giving is a privilege. Giving is a privilege. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number 2 the Bible says you can only give as God prospers you. Guess what? If you have something to give, that means God gave you something to give. Privilege. It's a privilege to be able to give back to the Lord from what God has given to us. Boy, there's been sometimes I've had people come up and say, well, uh, it's such a blessing to be able to put something in the offering plate this week because I didn't make anything last week. And uh, I, under, I understood this a whole lot better when, that be, when, 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 when uh, people started making statements like that to me. And that's significant. Hey, the only way you can give is if God has given you something to be able to give. And giving is a privilege. And uh, that's an important thing. The second thing I'd say is this. The first tenth of your income belongs to God. The first tenth of your income belongs to God. It's called the tithe. Now, in your notes, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, the Bible says this, 
Bring ye the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I tell you, the tithe is commanded. There's so many passages of Scripture we could go to. I've had people say, well, that's just in the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament. Jesus condoned tithing in the New Testament. It's not something that, that has gone away. The first tenth before the law ever existed, Abraham and Jacob were tithing to the Lord. And so many things we could say along those lines. But listen, whether you believe it or not, in the Scripture, in the first tenth of what you make is supposed to be the Lord's. You say 10, does that mean like $10? No, it means 10%, okay? 10% of your income. I said, whoa, I ain't giving God 10%. Are you crazy? Um, well, friend, that's what the Lord has asked us to do. And let me explain something to you. You trust God by faith with the tithe. You read that verse for yourself again. God will bless you for it. God can do more with 90% of your income than you could do with 100% of it. You can mark it down. It's a promise in God's word, and there are plenty of people in this room who have practiced it and can say, Pastor, it's true. It's true. And uh, it, it, that's a step of faith for you to take, but that's a principle that will be very liberating to you when it comes to the area of giving. Now, the third thing here is that above and beyond the tithe, you can give an offering to the Lord. A lot of people think they're giving offerings when actually all, all they're actually doing is giving a down payment on their tithe because they're not tithing. You don't give an offering to the Lord until you've given the Lord what's His, that's 10%. Above and beyond that is the offering that's given to the Lord. I don't have one up here, but if I had a tithing envelope, a lot of times people say, why are all these things on here? Well, there's the tithe that's on there, and then there are other areas where you can give a free will offering to the Lord. Maybe you want to give to Lighthouse Christian Academy, or maybe you want to give to the building program, uh, or to the maintenance of this building, or to our missionaries, or whatever the case may be. But what those are, now you don't have to give to all of them. But whatever the Lord leads your heart to give, but what those are are opportunities for you to give a free will offering to the Lord above and beyond the tithe. Now, this isn't popular teaching today, but it is what the Bible does teach us. And that's, that's what giving is supposed to be all about. And I thank the Lord through the years that God has enabled us to continue, uh, Emily and I, to continue to give more and more uh, into the Lord's work. And we hit a big milestone this year. We were so thankful uh, to be able to hit it. And I'm not going to say what it is because none of your business what we give. And honestly, it's between us and God, and we don't do it, we don't do it to brag about it. But it's, it's an important thing that we obey the Lord when it comes to this area. And uh, uh, the last thing I'd say is this, uh, whatever you give, it's between God and you. It's not supposed to be done for a show. Now, Matthew chapter 6, um, the earlier part of the chapter, the, the Bible actually tells us, don't, don't even let, let your left hand know what your right hand's doing when it comes to giving. Don't, don't do it to show other people that, oh, I'm giving so much to the Lord. That's not what it's about. It's to the Lord. It's for God's glory, and it's an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. That's what giving is supposed to be all about. And boy, church, uh, this is an area we need to grow in. Uh, every, every single one of us, it's an area that we need to go, grow in. I am thankful that we have such a faithful giving church. But I dare say, if you look at your financial situation and compare it to what the Scripture is teaching to us here, there are probably some areas that you need to grow in. How can you steward what's already God's? You're the manager. It's not yours. Stop acting like it's yours. It's not. It's God's. Can you steward it? Live intentionally. Budget. Okay. Uh, Make sure all your dollars are going to God's purposes, not being wasted. Number two, uh, give cheerfully. A third thing I'd say, 
owe sparingly or be in debt sparingly. This isn't going to be any fun right here, huh? <coughs> Proverbs 22 and verse 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Romans 13 and verse number 8. Owe no man anything. Whoa, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Owe no man anything but to love one another. The Bible's crystal clear on it. And friend, you will not, will not persuade me otherwise. You ought to stay out of debt. You ought to stay out of debt. By the way, a good way to stay out of debt is not buy things you don't have money for. Not buy things you have to go into debt for. The way to stay out of debt is get rid of credit cards. You say, well, that's just my fallback. Don't have a fallback. God's your fallback, okay? God's your fallback. Take care of you. Say, well, that, that, I don't think that's very wise. That's what the Bible teaches us. Not spo we're supposed to stay out of debt. Now, some of you are in a debt trap right now, and one of the best ways that you can simplify your financial life is by committing yourself to attack that debt and get it gone and don't go back to that place. Don't go back to that place again. All right? Oh, sparingly. I better move on. Y'all are going to start getting mad at me, okay? Number four, save faithfully. Save faithfully. Proverbs 21 and verse 20. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spends it up. The saving does not indicate a lack of trust in God. God actually tells us we're supposed to do it. Right? There, is, there, is, there, there is extra in the dwelling of the wise is essentially what the Bible is saying to us here. And as you faithfully manage God's resources, God wants you to be able to store them up in abundance so you have to be able to give to other needs in your life or in other people's lives. Be careful not to trust in your riches. Right? Some of you have a lot of money in the bank and you think that's going to hold you through. I like what Proverbs says about it. Riches have a way of making themselves wings and flying away. Okay? Don't trust in your riches. You're trusting in the Lord, but you, are, you, are, you, you ought to save. And that's something that you ought to do. Um, most people, in fact, I was looking at the statistics on this the other day, 80%, 80% of adults at the age of 65 have saved um, less, uh, less than $20,000 for retirement. It's not good. I tell you, Social Security ain't going to do much for you. In the, in the, in the uh, economy we're living in today, it really is probably not. I, I'll get off of that subject, all right? But you don't need to trust in your riches, but you need to be responsible with saving. Something the Bible teaches us we ought to do. And at the same time, you ought not just keep all your money and hoard it up where you can't enjoy life. I think it's okay to enjoy life every once in a while. I heard a story about a lady. She, <laughs> she, went, uh, she went out shopping and she came home with all these bags on her arms and and her husband, when she walked in the, in the door, he was, he, he was shocked, and he saw all the stuff, and, and he, he began to harass her about it, and he said, well, I wonder what's happening to our nest egg now. And a lady with all those, all those bags on her arm, she, she laid them down, and she said, well, the, the old hen got tired of sitting on that nest egg. That's what happened to it. <laughs> want to go spend some of it. It's all right to spend some money, all right? It's all right to enjoy life every once in a while, as long as you do it, uh, do it God's way. And uh, by the way, Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, being able to enjoy your labor, the fruits of your labor, that's, that's from the hand of God. All right? That's part of life too. And, and God enjoys, enjoys it when his people can, can enjoy life. Uh, here's a fifth principle. Grow diligently. Grow diligently. Now, I'm out of time, so I just got to hustle here. But Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives a parable of three men that he entrusts money to. Uh, that, a, that a, a manager or an owner trusts money to. These three men, two of them, manage the money they've been given faithfully. Actually see an increase. 
to different degrees, but an increase. And when the Lord comes back and meets them, um, he tells them, well done. Took what I had and you used it and you increased it. Well done. Well, the third guy, he didn't do anything with it. Actually, he did something with it. He buried it. Did nothing with it. It stayed in the ground. And when the Lord came back, he rebuked him severely. Not doing anything with what the Lord had given him. Application is this. Don't bury God's treasure. Okay? God wants you to use it. God will use our gifts and talents to different degrees. This isn't a competition to see who can do more for God or who can make more for God or any of those things. God's given us di different gifts and talents and abilities. The point is God wants us to be faithful and he wants us to keep growing in this area of our finances. And uh, boy, what a privilege it'll be one day if you will be faithful in this area to stand before God one day and hear him say, well done, well done. Took what I gave you and you used it. You, know, you weren't perfect in it, but you were faithful. Well done. That's what God's looking for today there's the principle of stewardship I'll just mention the last one to you because we're out of time it's the principle of hope principle of hope that is you need to learn to trust God to bless your faithfulness look at verse 34 with me and we'll be done take therefore no thought for the morrow for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof can I tell you you don't have to live your life without hope had people tell me in the past couple days, well, Pastor, what do you think is going to happen to the gas prices? Guess what? They're going to keep going up and down, and they're going to keep going up and down like they have been for the past 20 years, okay? What about the, 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 realtor, uh, the realtor market? What about, uh, we can try to ask all those questions, and we can, we can try to bring those things forward until our, our heads start to hurt. The fact of the matter is, you can still have hope with your finances today if you still have God. If you still have God. You know, we're worried about things that may never even happen tomorrow. God says sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Why don't you just take care of what I've given for you today and let me worry about tomorrow. I've already got it in my hand. God does already have it in his hand. By the way, let me tell you something. You can have hope in your finances today in the fact that there will always be a return when you invest into God. All right? Last verse I want to read to you here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, it says, But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And, uh, and then verse number 8 says, But God is able to make all uh, uh, grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And uh, let me tell you, when you start to implement these principles from God's word that we've been looking at here today, there will be a payoff. God will take care of you. You may not see the payoff immediately, but as you start to implement these principles, you'll see yourself coming to a place of financial liberty, freedom. And that is a wonderful place to be, to live with no debt, to live in a place where you're saving, where you're able to give when God prompts your heart to do it. It's a good place to be in life. It'll do a whole lot to simplify your life. You let God teach you how to simplify your finances. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We're going to have a moment of invitation here.